Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Friday, December 6th, we are studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Timothy was sent to visit the Thessalonian church to see how their faith was faring in Paul's absence. When he brought his report back to Paul in Corinth, the news was very encouraging. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Hey, thanks for having me. Pastor Preuss, give us some context this morning. Where are we in the letter to the Thessalonians that's going to lead up to the text we've got today? Well, uh, Paul is, like you just mentioned, you know, Timothy has... uh, you know, has gone to kind of check things out for him, which is not uncommon. Um, you know, they, we see this, we see this in Second Corinthians as well, where uh, where he mentions how Titus comes and brings report to him. But Paul is really uh, encouraging the the Thessalonians, um, basically to you know to keep doing what they're doing, um, to keep uh, confessing the gospel and preaching the gospel. And uh, and now he's uh, he's getting into you know understanding he's getting into kind of how they are to uh, continue in, uh, in in not just in the content of the gospel but in the uh, in the power of the gospel which produces fruit um, and so so Paul is and, and, and one one major theme throughout. First uh, Thessalonians, which is really a theme throughout all of Paul's epistles, and really you could say throughout the entire Scripture, is the importance of afflictions, bearing afflictions. And so, you know, Paul is uh, Paul's writing to them to encourage them, not just in, you know, kind of setting down a compendium of of uh, of the true doctrinal kind of teaching, although that's certainly important, and Paul certainly kind of breaks down some stuff throughout this epistle, uh, especially on, like, the end of the world and stuff when you get into chapter 5. But even even more kind of concrete than that, he is he's encouraging them in how to bear afflictions and what it means to to be a Christian now in this pagan world. And so, so he's kind of, he's been, he's been, uh, you know, conversing with them on really what does it mean now that you guys are Christians and, uh, and what does it mean for, for us, uh, uh, for, for our relationship, uh, with you, you know, that, that we're not there anymore. And, uh, and, and so this is kind of, uh, it's really a letter of encouragement to, to those who are kind of new Christians, right? They're, they're, uh, they're, you know, I'm kind of reminded of the blind man who Jesus heals. And in, uh, John chapter, uh, chapter nine, and he, you know, they, he gets, he gets healed and it's like right away, uh, the guy is getting bombarded with uh, interrogations from the Jewish leaders, and everyone just kind of pretends they don't know him, you know, and they just he just kind of gets thrown under the bus by his own parents and all this stuff. And this is, I think, what Paul is dealing with with the uh, with the Thessalonians is that, you know, he's writing to them uh, as they must now bear afflictions, and he is. Uh, you know, and uh, just as the apostles have to bear afflictions, and he's teaching them, you know, th- that this is uh, this is part of the power of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So, so just to, you know, kind of leading up to verse six, you know, you can I'll just read uh, 
I'll just read uh, 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 verse 4 and 5 here. He says, For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. And so here, it's, again, it, it uh, goes, you know, this is not simply a, a letter of kind of... Uh, uh, dogmatic instruction, although the, again, that's that you can't ever avoid that. You know, Christian conversations are always going to be talking about the content of of the gospel. Um, but this is a is a letter of uh, concern for these new Christians and how they are really getting used to being strangers in this world, because it's quite the shift uh, when you when you go from being of the world to being uh, not of the world, and yet still in the world. Hmm. That theme of affliction is one that I, I've maybe, I don't know, if, I'm not surprised perhaps, but but it wasn't the reason I picked First and Second Thessalonians to study during the season of Advent. I, I picked those two letters because of the, the way Paul does talk a lot about Christ's second coming in them. Mm-hmm. But I think that theme of affliction does tie in nicely to the theme of Advent and, and the idea of, of waiting and what happens while we wait. Talk a little bit more about that theme of affliction as it shows up in the letters. I think you've kind of talked about that, but then wider in the rest of Paul and really throughout the scriptures. Talk a little bit more about that theme. Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, and, and this very much has everything to do with the, with the coming of Christ, because we bear affliction as we look forward to the coming of Christ. And so this is... Uh, you know, if you, if you go to, like, Second Timothy chapter 3, for example, you know, Paul is talking about the latter days and all of this terrible stuff that's going to happen in the latter days, which we're experiencing today and which he was all, they were already experiencing 2,000 years ago. You know, people not, uh, people rejecting authority, people being haughty and uh, not wanting to learn anything. Um, and then he says there, that if anyone wants to be, uh, uh, if anyone wants to be a disciple of Christ, if anyone wants to be a believer in this world, then he must endure persecution. And uh, and 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 this is in, this is this is with the focus of Christ coming back. And so, you have there's a it's really it's really interesting that the parallel that you see in in verse, you know, the, verse six here, um, and. Uh, and, and what Paul talks about in uh, 2 Corinthians 7. And, and I can just read, read a little bit from 2 Corinthians 7, where Paul says, in fact, and he's, ta- he's talking to the Corinthians um, and uh, in, in a very similar kind of way that he's speaking to the, uh, to the Thessalonians. He says, in fact, when we came to Macedonia, our flesh had no relief. Instead, we were troubled in every way, conflicts on the outside, fears on the inside, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us with the arrival of Titus, and not only with his arrival, but also with the comfort he had received concerning you. He told us about your longing, your sorrow, and your serious concern for me. As a result, I rejoiced even more. And so this, this shows then that the comfort that we have in this life is one that must take place in the context of affliction. And so we can't speak of these doctrinal topics like the second return of Christ, right? Or the, uh, you know, whether it's baptism, the Lord's Supper, you know, go back to the Ten Commandments, the Creed, uh, the Lord's Prayer. We really can't talk about any of this stuff outside of the context of affliction, whether from without or within. That is, outward affliction, you know, people, you know, stoning Paul or threatening him or insulting him, or really more commonly and really more fiercely, the inward affliction, the fear within, which is, you know, the, the conflict in the conscience and, uh, you know, where we must uh, uh, battle against our sinful flesh. And, uh, and, and you can see, I mean, you could just, you can even imagine, too, how these Thessalonians, you know, they're new Christians, and now they're going through all this, you know, they're not 
things are not getting better for them and their social standings in this world. And that's got to put a big toll on the conscience. Like, oh, boy, did I make a mistake here? You know, and this is where the, the coming of Christ, which Paul gets to at the end of this chapter, uh, is really what the goal of it all is, that God would keep us blameless for this, for this, for this uh, appearing of Christ, which we can't see right now. And that's another big theme here is that we can't see Christ, and instead he's hidden under affliction, but we can see one another. And so this is why, you know, Titus in 2 Corinthians 7 and Timothy here mentioned in uh, in First uh, Thessalonians 3 are so significant that, that they bring a good report of the brothers um, because it shows that we have, that while we look forward to the coming of Christ, the appearing of Christ, we see one another face to face. And it's like we see Christ in our brother, right? And this is something that we could talk about, you know, more, unpack this more uh, as we go along in the pericope. Yeah, there's there's a lot there that you, you've already touched on. So let's go ahead and, and take a look at the text then and, and continue to delve into some of these themes. So again, we're in First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13 this morning. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. There's the text for today, 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 6 through 13. Pastor Preuss, there at the beginning, Paul recounts Timothy's return to him. He's made this visit to the Thessalonians. Timothy comes back to Paul and brings, it says, good news, as the ESV translates it there. That verb in Greek, though, is the same word for preaching the gospel, bringing the good news. So what, what's the good news here? How does, that, how does the good news that Paul hears from Timothy here relate to what we might say the good news, the gospel, in, in the narrow sense that Christ Jesus died for sinners? How do these, how do, they, do these two things go together? Yeah, well, this is, uh, yeah, this is, this is really, really significant. Because it shows, again, like kind of what I alluded to earlier, that the gospel, you know, the, the, the evangelion is, is not merely the content, although certainly it is the content, but the content isn't, isn't just information. It is, the, as Paul says in Romans 1, 16, it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, because the righteousness of God is revealed in it. Um, from faith to faith. And so what Paul's referring to here, then, what he hears from Timothy, uh, he hears he hears really the gospel from Timothy, but the, what he's hearing is the, the fruit of the gospel. And so, and so the gospel isn't just a line upon line, you know, uh, precept upon precept content that we just kind of memorize and then put, it, and then put away. Um, but because it actually saves and it creates faith, it also bears fruit. So what Paul is hearing from Timothy is the fruit of their faith, is their faith, you know, that their faith is bounding, and that gives Paul comfort. And I think that that's something that, you know, when we talk about, <clears throat> I think just to speak dogmatically here a little bit, because I think as Lutherans we, we rightly uh, have a, a wariness of um, of any type of uh, internalizing of of the of the good news um, of the gospel um, because because it can very easily be taken away from its content and therefore it, it's comfort right people try to for example turn the grace of God purely into just this kind of internalizing of our own feelings about God um, or our own experience. 
And then the content that Jesus took away your sin is sort of in the background, and you, you, you hear it less and less. And while we should certainly be careful and be on our guard against that kind of stuff, we also should understand that the gospel is more than just its content. The gospel also includes its, its, uh, its power to create faith, to abound in faith, um, to create fruit. And so I think one, one distinction that I think has been helpful for me is that um, when it comes to the central article of the Christian faith is that for the sake of Christ's obedient suffering and death in our place, um, sinful man is, is declared righteous by God, not by anything within him, um, not by anything that he does, but only by God's grace in, in Christ, uh, and, that he, and that he receives this through faith. And that is really the center of the gospel, of the good news, the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And yet, the gospel includes more than that, right? I mean, that's the center of it all. That's the basis of it all. Um, and yet, the gospel also includes the promise of the Holy Spirit to, to, to make you abound in faith, um, and in holiness. And so, and, and that's something that we should take great comfort in, just as Paul does. When you hear, and, and I think that any pastor uh, especially can, can relate to this. When you, when, I mean, you've, you've probably experienced this where uh, maybe you took a call somewhere else, or maybe someone moved away, someone who you taught, uh, or, you know, you, you, uh, Maybe someone has been away from church for a while, and then that person comes back. And but, but but at any rate, later on you learn that that person who you taught or those people you taught the gospel to now are actually confessing it, and uh, and are and and really even any 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 father or mother who teaches the 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 gospel to to their children, you know, and they hear their children just confess the gospel, you know, are overjoyed. They're comforted by it. You know, when I hear, when I'm sitting in, in my, in my chair in the living room, drinking my coffee and my kids are eating breakfast and I hear one of my children singing a hymn, confessing the gospel, that gives me comfort, right? That not just that I'm hearing the content of the gospel, but that this child believes the gospel and is freely under no coercion from anyone, confessing it. And, and I think that that is part of the comfort of the gospel, uh, that, uh, that, that is namely its fruit, that, that other Christians are confessing it. Mm. So how, I mean, and just to, to you, you brought up the, the matter of dogmatics and, and the way we, we typically think of law, gospel, in terms of our teaching and our preaching— <clears throat> And what's going on here is, as you said, is much broader than the way that we usually apply it. And I really appreciate what you're bringing out here because it, it is right that we would give thanks and find joy when we hear others confessing the faith, that that we see the fruits of the gospel. So how do we, I mean, I'm thinking as a, as a pastor now in terms of preaching, but but any Christian in, in the confession of, of the truth, how does this, how does this, fuller aspect of, of giving thanks for the gospel and its fruit, how does that come out in the way that we proclaim the truth and confess the truth in, in our daily lives as Christians? Yeah, uh, that, um, it manifests itself in joy, um, in, in, in joy and thanksgiving for the gospel. And this is what Paul gets at, too, where he says, you know, how can we thank God enough? And how can we, you know, he's given us joy, right? And this is something, again, that there really isn't... Uh, now, the the reason why we have instruction is so that we can be... Uh, so that our faith can be uh, perfected in what's lacking, right, as Paul says. Um, and I think that that's what Paul's referring to there. Uh, but but the reason why we have instruction in the in the content of the Christian faith is 
is so that we, you know, we could be nurtured in our faith and grow in the knowledge of our salvation so that we can articulate it uh, better to our family and friends. But as far as, you know, applying this, this idea of, of, uh, of the gospel abounding in our lives, it's simply a matter of having the joy for the gospel to confess it. Um, there's uh, and it it is a spontaneous thing, and I'm not saying that like a spontaneous combustion, but but when I say spontaneous, um, but sort of sometimes it's kind of like that. And I think it depends on your personality. I'm kind of a random guy sometimes. I'm kind of impulsive, and so I will randomly. You know, I, I, I remember when I was in college and I worked at a, in a kitchen and I would just randomly tell people the gospel and and uh, and just kind of, you know, and then just I don't know. It, 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 it depends on everyone's personality and how they how they how they really bring it up, I guess. But the point is that you can't manipulate people's personality. Everyone's going to have different different personalities, different stations in life. The most important thing is to have joy, is to remember the joy that God gives you in the gospel to confess it and to understand that that joy is part of the gift of the gospel. The joy of having the gospel is also the pro- a promise given in Scripture, that God will give you that, 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 uh, that love, that peace, that joy, that, uh, that long-suffering, all those other fruits of the spirit and that's all part of the gift of the power of god uh to salvation and to recognize that you know is uh is comforting even though these things manifest themselves in sort of what we would maybe consider in the category of law and good works um really they're they are spiritual gifts that 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 flow freely from faith and are freely given in the gospel. I'm reminded of Second Peter chapter one, where Peter admonishes the you know, the Christians to supplement their faith with with uh with virtue and godliness and uh and uh and, and gentleness and brotherly affection and love. Um and he says if you if you practice these things then your faith will not be ineffective. Well, what does he mean by that? What he means is that in this life you know, the gospel is actually going to manifest itself in your life, and uh, and 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 bear fruit. And uh, and if you if you neglect that and you ignore that, well, then you're being idle, and you're then quenching the spirit. So it's not Peter is not saying that add to your faith good works so that you can make your faith work. You know, that's kind of the error that the Roman Catholics make that faith justifies because love is added to it. No, Peter is simply saying, uh, admonishing them to confirm what God has called them to, to be, and that, is, and that is in their lives to have these virtues that come from faith, that come from the gospel. And so Peter says then after this, you know, I remind you of these things simply to fan the flame, you know, the things that you, that you already have. And so, so to just recognize that the gospel permeates your life and that the gospel does give you these things. And yes, your sinful flesh is always going to resist them. Um, but if you understand that these are all gifts of the gospel, then you understand that they're, that it's a free gift. Um, and it can't be micromanaged or manufactured by, by, uh, some sort of program or method. It simply comes from a thankfulness and joy in the gospel, in hearing anyone confess it, and, uh, and, and especially under affliction. I think sometimes we're just afraid to talk that way. As, as you mentioned earlier, you know, and rightly so, that we would be afraid of, or not afraid, wary of the, the internalizing of the gospel and, and falling into that Roman mm-hmm. Catholic error. But, but at the same time, to, to not fall off the other side either and, and not not rejoice in the good things that God is doing in the gospel, so that when we hear of the the faith of another that's expressing itself in good works, that we simply rejoice in that and, and don't have to dogmatically say, well, remember, 
that's the Holy Spirit working in you. You didn't do that. Well, yes, we know that. That's true. But the joy that comes from that fruit of the gospel, just to, to watch that overflow here with Paul as he's hearing this report from Timothy and the Thessalonians, is, is just a wonderful thing. And I think something that, that may be missing sometimes in our, in our lives as, as Christians today, that we don't, don't always rejoice. We're, we're skeptical, maybe. Um, and, and, and just to, to see the joy overflow here for, for Paul is, is a wonderful thing. Quick response before we take a break, Pastor Price. And we just dropped Pastor Preuss's audio briefly. So we're going to go ahead and take that break right now. We'll get him back on the line. You're listening to Sharper Iron. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Church Missouri Synod, on behalf of Concordia Plan Services, Lutheran Housing Support Corporation, Concordia University System, Lutheran Church Extension Fund, the LCMS Foundation, and Corporate Synod, daily reaches out to our members and partners, working together to support our local, global, and international ministries, church workers, and LCMS initiatives at large to carry the mission forward and to serve each other in love. Opportunities to serve, lcms.org careers. Can God give infants faith? Are there examples in Scripture of infant faith? Friday on Issues Etc., we'll discuss infant faith with Dr. Jordan Cooper. It's also This Week in Pop Christianity. We'll talk with Chris Rosebro about a sermon based on the movie Home Alone. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Hi, I'm Pastor Mark Hawkinson. You know, life is a potpourri of good experiences and really tough challenges. Through all those times you need, and so do I, the Lord's precious word and sacred music to get you through. That's what you get when you tune in to Moments of Assurance, Christ-centered songs, scripture, news items, trivia, humor, you name it. So tune in. You'll be richer for it over the noontime hour here on Worldwide KFUO. Moments of Assurance is underwritten by Mid-American Coaches. This week on The Lutheran Hour. If we say that God's purpose is simply to take our souls to heaven when we die, we might miss God's bigger yes. God's yes to putting bodies and souls back together again in the resurrections. God's yes to the creation as he intended it to be. Dr. Michael Ziegler, this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 1230 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Friday, December 6th. We're looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, with Pastor Andrew Preuss of Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back. I think we've got you back, right? Yeah. Can you hear me? Excellent. Yes, I can. That's fantastic. Oh, good. Yeah. So, Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we were talking about this joy that Paul has from the fruit of the gospel that he's seeing in the Thessalonian church, Timothy's come back and reported it to him. And this joy that is his and theirs because of this common faith that they share leads them to this desire, on, and it's a mutual desire, Paul says, to see each other face to face. And we touched yeah. a little bit on this yesterday in the previous text because this matter of, of being apart and, and yet longing to see each other face to face comes up there too. And you, you've touched on it here as well. And you've you've connected it as well to the fact that we can't see Christ, so we long to see each other face to face. Start bringing out some of those themes from the text for us, because I, I think this is it's a key theme in this text, and I also think it has important application for us today. Yeah, so there's this parallel then be there's you know between being rejoicing before God, right, and uh, and then on on the other hand then. Uh, desiring to see the brethren face to face. And so we, of course, we stand justified before God through faith. And yet in the meantime, we desire to confess this to one another face to face. And this gets to kind of the, the, you know, how this kind of mutual conversation 
and consolation of the brethren that we were just talking about, you know, hearing about, hearing someone else confess the faith um, is part of the gospel. And then Luther includes this in his section in the Small Calls articles um, on his, his, his section simply entitled The Gospel and talks about how it comes in all these different forms, the preaching of the gospel, the uh, uh, baptism, uh, the, the, the absolution, Lord's Supper, and the mutual conversation, consolation of the brethren. And this, is, this shows that, you know, while we do not see our God, even though we rejoice before him, even before his faith, yet not seeing him, and this is what, you know, Peter says, you know, you do not see him, yet you, yet you believe in him. You do not see him, but you love him. And so in the meantime, we have this desire to see the face of our brethren, because you see Christ in your fellow believers. And so we look forward to seeing Jesus face to face. But if you love God, if you love Jesus, then you also ought to love your brother in Christ. And so, I mean, all the apostles pick up on this. Uh, you have uh, John, in, in John's first epistle, he who says that he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. For how can you love God whom you cannot see if you hate your brother whom you can see? And so here Paul is showing this parallel where he, you know, he says that, that, um, that for what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy uh, wherewith we joy for your sake before our God. And then right after that, he says, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your faith and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. And so this, so again, this, this, this understanding, this confidence that we rejoice before our God. Now, what is that? Why would you, how can you rejoice before your God if you are not justified before your God? If you do not stand righteous before God, um, then you cannot rejoice before him. This is very significant, to be before the throne of God, before God himself. And then, so because they know, they have this confidence and comfort that they can rejoice before God, that they stand righteous before God, they therefore have this desire to see one another face to face. And so God you know, God works through these kinds of masks, right? And one of the masks that God works through is uh, where he reveals himself to us is through our fellow Christians. And I, again, I think St. John especially makes this very clear uh, that, uh, you know, that if you love God, if you say you love God, then you should also love your, your brother. And, and it's not merely your neighbor. Of course, we are to love all, right? Uh, even, even the unbelievers, even our enemies. Um, but here it's focusing on our brother or sister in the in 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 the faith in Christ, because we have this this uh, this common um, and sacred unity with them, um, and and it, to the point where you know we could even call it a mystical union, as Paul talks about uh, the the mystery of uh, of the union between Christ and His Church and in uh, Ephesians 5. <clears throat> and so we have this mystical union, this mysterious union between the believer and God, but there, therefore also then between, the, between uh, among all the believers together, so that we are together the body of Christ. And therefore, we rejoice when we hear of those in the body confessing the gospel, and we, we long to see them. You know, this is something that, you know, I, I uh, uh, th this is something that should really inform our, our lives as Christians. We should really look forward to going to church um, to see other people who confess the gospel. And you, you go to church, you know, I, I, I like to emphasize, you go to church to hear the gospel, to learn about Christ, to learn about the forgiveness of sins, to receive that in the sacraments to be nurtured in that, and that is the main reason why you go to church. But don't forget about the mutual conversation and consolation of the brethren. You also go to church to build one another up in love and in good works, um, to encourage one another, to look, you know, as, we, as, as the writer to the Hebrews says in, in, in chapter 10, uh, 
as we see the day approaching, right? As we look forward to the coming of the Lord, and it's always in that context. And therefore, as we bear afflictions together here in this in this life, you know that when when I I always found church a little boring, even as a pastor's kid. I think my children are a lot more pious than I was when I was their age. Um, <clears throat> but it wasn't until I was probably all oh, 12 years old, around teenage years, uh, is when I was in middle school, and um, and I would uh, I would encounter kids in my class who would kind of tease me for going to church, and and other kids who would you know express kind of a, even attack. Uh, my faith, attack the things that I believe. And um, it was around that time that I really looked forward to going to church. It was really a rest for me. Um, and uh, it, it, not just to go and learn, uh, um, yeah, that was the main thing, but also to see other Christians, to be around other people who aren't going to mock me for being in church, you know, who aren't going to mock me for caring about Jesus and about his word. And that is so, so that desire, that longing to see the other Christians face to face is a very real longing that, um, that, uh, that the Holy Spirit creates in our, in our hearts. Um, and it is a fruit of faith. Um, it, it's really love. I think you, what, you, what you brought out there really brings out why affliction is such a, a key component of this. And, and even in your own experience there, that, that when, when you were being mocked for going to church, that's when the comfort of going to church shone through all the more. Uh, I, earlier when you were talking about the theme of affliction, I was reminded of, of Luther's trio of what he says makes a, a theologian, a, a ratio, that is prayer, meditatio, that is reading the scriptures and studying them, and then tentatio, temptation, or, or this, this anfectung, to use the, the German, the, the turmoil trial that, that comes along and really cements those other two in us. And, and yeah. you, you see all that coming together in this, in this mutual desire that exists between Paul and the Thessalonians to, to see one another and and I man, I had several several thoughts going through my mind while you were talking, and, and so many points that we could pick up. But just to to pick up one, this this matter that when Paul says that that Timothy's good news, his report, was that they longed to see him, just as he longed to see them. This isn't some sort of pride on Paul's part. It's like, man, I'm glad you missed me, sort of thing. But but rather that was a a sign that, that the gospel was continuing to work. And so if that desire had been lacking, that would have, that would have shown that something was lacking, something more that was lacking in, in their rejoicing before God. I mean, is that, so when one is, when one is missing, so is something's wrong with the other. Is that, are we saying that? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's not like, um, it's not like when you, when you have a crush on a girl and you find out that she liked you too. And you're like, all right. Um, <laughs> Although maybe it's not entirely different from that, uh, you know, there is the marriage after all is a is a shadow of Christ in the church. But anyway, yeah, yeah, I think you're I think you're 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 right. And, and one other place in Scripture to go to is um, Philippians chapter four, uh, where mm. Paul says uh, uh, Paul says, you know, he's talking about how the Philippians had provided for him even while he was in Thessalonica, um, and uh, and and he says that he he rejoices in this and he says, not that I desire the gift, but I desire, uh, mm -hmm. for the, um, for the fruit, right. To abound. Um, and, uh, and, and, and this is, this is what, what, what Paul is rejoicing in then is that this is an indication that they care and you can see that they care about the gospel, that they're willing to suffer for it. Right. And that they desire Paul, and this is uh, you know another uh, that's you know when, when you God puts people in our lives, and He raises up certain people to be kind of public representatives of His confession at certain times, and so it takes courage to stand with those people, right? As much as you did to the least of these, my brethren, you did to me, Jesus said. And here He's talking about any Christian who has stood up for the truth and gotten clobbered for it. And those who have the courage given by the spirit to stand with them and say, I stand with this guy. 
um, you know, they, they're the ones who that is where that's one of the, the indications of a genuine faith um, that we can rejoice in. So, you know, this is something that, you know, we're called Lutherans, right? And maybe that maybe that uh, that label has kind of lost its significance over the years. People just kind of they figure, oh, we're just following a guy named Martin Luther. But it was a lot more significant um, in the earlier years of of uh, the Reformation when here's a guy who's an outlaw who's condemned who, who, to be a heretic, who, you know, to stand with this guy is to really put your life on the line and to call yourself a Lutheran and to stand before princes and say, yeah, I stand with this guy, Martin Luther, because what he's teaching is the truth. It's, it's from Scripture. And so it's just like, you know, if you're, if you're in an Aryan um, uh, uh, populated area, you know, in the Roman Empire, in the fourth century, and even after the Council of Nicaea has come, you still have Arians, um, you know, who are denying the, the divinity of Christ, running certain areas like what Ambrose uh, uh, had to go through, where his church was basically locked up uh, by the Arians, and that they say, yeah, we stand with Nicaea. We stand with the Council of Nicaea. It's not just a label for them. It is standing with those faithful men who have confessed the truth and are being slandered and clobbered for it. And so when Paul sees that they are willing, that they desire him, they des- that, that, that they desire to stand with him, he understands this is much more than them just be- wanting to be his buddy. It, it, it is that they are willing to be, be, be persecuted with him, to suffer with him, to be labeled a Paulite. Right. Even though Paul knows that it's, we're Christians, right? We are that that's that's who are. There's only one Lord, and yet he understands that this is how it works in this world. That when one man, uh, one person confesses the truth, um, and that then becomes sort of a label for the truth, then those who are have the courage to stand with that person um, and be labeled a Lutheran or or whatever um, are are doing so because the Holy Spirit has given them the courage and the desire uh, for the gospel, and therefore to stand with anyone who will confess the gospel. I appreciate you bringing up the Council of Nicaea on St. Nicholas's Day, that we would stand with him, St. Nicholas, one of the confessors yeah. of the of the truth there at, at the Council of Nicaea. To keep to keep us moving through the text, Pastor Preuss, I, I want you to touch a little bit more on the matter of the supplying what is lacking in your faith that Paul wants to do when he gets to see them face to face. What what's he you've touched on it briefly. Dig into that a little bit more for us. Yeah, so it's another way of speaking of instructing them in Christian doctrine. And so this is where the content really does, the content of doctrine does matter. Paul is not just speaking warm fuzzies of, and sentimentalities about how, oh, it would just be so nice to see you. It's so wonderful to, to see you before, and I just love being around you. And then when they're around, they just kind of tell their corny stories and, you know, just, you know, uh, uh, sit around and, and uh and hold hands and sing and sing spiritual songs that actually don't say anything about the christian faith you know like it's like it's some shallow bible camp you know that paul wants to go to no no paul wants to go and instruct them in christian doctrine right he wants to go he doesn't want to just go and listen to some shallow christian rock song right he wants to go and sing doctrinal hymns with them just as he, he you know he quotes throughout his epistles um, uh, you know, like the mystery of godliness, who is who is made manifest in the flesh and seen and 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 uh, seen by angels, vindicated in the spirit. You know, he wants to teach them. He wants to teach them all the more. And so this shows that as much as Paul rejoices in their faith, he still recognizes that such faith needs continual nourishment, right? And 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 and, and right, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of of, of Christ. This is this is this is the so so while. We, you know, Paul, I think, gives us a really good example here because it shows that while we recognize that faith needs to be nourished by the Word of God, um, we also rejoice even in the simplest of faith, right? It, you know, we, we, and we should be, we should be uh, optimistic in, in Christ, in the Lord, in the, uh, you know, when, when we hear someone confessing the true faith, 
even if that person seems to be kind of a little bit ignorant of certain things, right? And and uh, so you might have a friend who maybe goes to a Pentecostal church, right? And yet he he really loves the gospel, but he's going to a church that, you know, while there's the gospel is being taught there, and we rejoice in that, they're also teaching some really terrible things, like that baptism doesn't save, and the Lord's Supper is not the true body and blood of Jesus, um, or that that the Holy Spirit works outside of His Word. Um, just very dangerous, damaging teachings, and yet we we long to be with these friends of ours who are who are who are caught up in these movements because we want to uh, 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 you know. We want to fill what is lacking, perfect what is lacking. We want to talk about God's Word and provide them with the, with the truth. And so I'm not saying the Thessalonians were a bunch of, were like in Pentecostal sects, but at the same time, we, we, can't, we can't forget that false teachers are rampant in the, in the first century. I mean, this is something Paul talks about in Acts 28, that fierce wolves will rise up. So, again, this is in the context of afflictions, which also includes having to be around false teachers. And Paul recognizes this. This dream, this idea that, oh, the first, er, the early parts of the church were just simple and everything was great, and it wasn't until Constantine came and made everything so officious that everything went to, went to nothing. It's like, no, this, this is just ridiculous. There were false teachers. There were heretics from the very beginning. And... And Paul, this is one of the reasons why Paul longs to see them, so that he can, he can instruct them, so that he can perfect what is lacking in their faith. And, and with the instruction, then, is also then to, to remind them that, hey, guys, I'm bearing these afflictions with you. Just like he says in Colossians, you know, that, that if I suffer, I'm, I'm, bear, I'm, I'm, I'm filling up whatever's lacking in you, in Christ. That is, if I'm suffering, it's for the sake of the gospel that you are being taught. And so my desire for you is not for you to sort of one-up one another in how, uh, how much you have to go through, but rather to just take, take comfort in the content of the Scriptures, in the content of the Gospel, and to rejoice in that instruction. So again, Paul is not just, you know, saying, hey, wasn't that a fun time at Bible camp when we sang, you know, uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, and all these other stupid songs that don't teach the faith, but we think they teach the faith. Um, no, <laughs> he's saying, no, let's get together so that we can talk theology, so that we can be filled up more in God's Word. As Not Paul then, Ash Bible oh, so, camps, by the way, I, I sure. enjoy <laughs> my Bible camps. Sure, sure, but but to take the content of the faith seriously to give our children something to grow into rather than something to grow out of. So as, as Paul, as Paul then concludes, he concludes this text. And really I would say he concludes this section of the epistle here with these last three verses. We've got just under five minutes here left. Pastor Preuss, take us into that final doxology benediction that Paul gives here at the end of this text. Yeah. So the, the last three verses are really an invocation to the triune God. And we, of course, the scriptures don't use the word triune God. They don't use the word Trinity, but they certainly teach it. And the way the scriptures teach it, the way, you know, one of the, the, the Pauline uh, uh, benediction that we're, we're, we should all be familiar with, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the, commun- and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, right? This, uh, you know, the, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit are often spoken of in... God being the Father, the Lord um, being the Lord Jesus, and then also the Lord being the Spirit. So I believe it's 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, where he talks about, I may be off one chapter there, four, three or four, where he talks about the, the unveiling, right, the veil taken off our eyes, that this is the Lord who is the Spirit who takes this off our eyes. So, so you have, so here, uh, the last few verses, you have him first mentioning our God and Father himself. And then he goes, and our Lord Jesus. And, 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 and he's invoking them to accomplish this thing that Paul desires, that is to, 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 to lead them to them so they can see them face to face. And then in verse 12, he, he mentions the Lord again. But this time, it, 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 while he doesn't say this explicitly, it's very clear that, that he's talking about the Spirit who pours the love of God into our hearts 
as Paul says in Romans 5, right, to increase their love for one another. That's one of the things that the Spirit does. He sanctifies us. He makes us holy, right? And so he says, in holiness. So Paul can bear witness to the Spirit's work of doing this uh, on his end as well, because he says, just as he has done this, just as we have love for you, right? And so Paul is invoking the Trinity. It's just beautiful how he invokes the Trinity by the things that the Trinity accomplishes and by the very, by the, you can see the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the things that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit accomplish for us. Um, that, uh, that they, that, that they bring, that the, that he, the, 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 the true God brings this all about. And so there's that dynamic. And this is another thing that's significant. There's this dynamic within the Godhead himself, which is love. Um, and this is then reflected then in our, uh, in our communion with one another, that we would have love, which is what is the content the substance, really, of our fellowship, which binds us together, which flows from the gospel, the pure doctrine. And so the Holy Spirit then establishes our hearts as blameless, which means that we have a good conscience, right? As baptism gives us a good conscience before God, that we're not bothered by all of the sin because we live in daily repentance and we re- rely on Christ. Um, and so we then are blameless before the Father. There, again, is that is that before the Father, we stand before the Father, and then it says, at the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So here he's finally, so he's looking forward to the, the goal of it all is that finally Jesus is going to appear, the, 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 the parousia, right? That he is, the, he is the, the appearance of Christ where we finally see him face to face. And so while we long for one another to see each other face to face, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit is accomplishing this while we all look forward to the final uh, face-to-face encounter, which is with Christ. Pastor Andrew Preuss is the pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Gutenberg, Iowa, and St. Paul Lutheran Church in McGregor, Iowa, helping us this morning with 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Pastor Preuss, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Together we are united to Christ. That good news of what he has done for us has borne fruit in our lives, the fruit of faith that trusts, the fruit of love for one another. And when we see those fruits come forth, we rejoice just like Paul did for the Thessalonians. And we long to see each other face to face, to confess the gospel together as we wait for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again next week.